Yeah, people, what's going on? Pete Davidson back with another edition of the Rotobon Podcast. We're talking tight ends today. Uh, we did some running backs yesterday in case you missed it. You can find all of these positional podcasts uh, on the Rotobon 500 uh, listed color-coded the same way I color-code the spreadsheet for those of you who are regular downloaders. Um, so welcome back to the podcast. I'd like to uh, thank all those folks. Uh, well, the handful of you who sent in donations over the last couple days. Always appreciated. And um, we're going to get into some serious tight ends today. We're going to go through probably 40 or 50 of these guys. Uh, and I'll start with sort of a top-down uh, view on the position. I'll be back with the receivers either later today or early tomorrow, depending on how much progress I make. Um, and I will be updating uh, the Rotobon 500, you know, every day, every other day, and almost always on like Thursdays, Fridays, uh, and over the weekend, because I know that's prime drafting time. So when, you know, and we tend to get, you know, news breaks a lot Thursdays and Fridays during the week, a little bit less on the weekends. Uh, but when there is stuff that needs to get in there, I will try to update as often as possible. Obviously, you can see uh, at the top of the article, when the last update was. So, you know, if it's uh, if you see 827 up there and it's 829, um, then, you know, buzz through the last couple of days of Roto World just in case. It's, uh, you know, not that hard. Um, anyway, uh, thanks for being here. And uh, we're going to we're gonna get right into this. I want to try to keep this podcast roughly to the length of the quarterbacks. May go a little bit longer because there's a little bit, a little bit more to discuss here. Uh, but let's lean into this thing. Again, I'm going to go top down first and then we're going to get into the individual names. Okay, so when we look at the tight end position, I mean, the first thing that hits you if you know what you're doing is that it's deep. I mean, right now I've got Eric Ebron as the 21st tight end on my board, right? And Ebron is a guy who's got 10 touchdown upside in the offense he's playing in. Now, Ebron also could wash out if he doesn't, you know, click with the coaching staff. We, you know, Ebron's bounced around for a reason, but he's also talented. We've seen what he can do um, when the ball is sort of flowing his way. Now, in fairness, and one of the reasons I'm not leaning in on Ebron like uh, some other people are, it, it, when Ebron was really killing it for fantasy, he had unrealistic target flow, in my opinion. He was playing on a team that absolutely needed him to score and make big plays. They were just down to nothing. You know, T.Y. Hilton was banged up. Other guys were hurt. And, it, you know, it was one of those situations. Um, you know, Pittsburgh's a very different team. Pittsburgh's going to be occasionally putting him in position to make really big plays because they're good at that. Um, I think Ebron's going to see targets the way uh, we saw Juju getting targets at one point, the way we saw, um, I mean, really a lot of the other third weapons in this scheme. Um, and sometimes he'll be the fourth weapon. But that's one one thing Pittsburgh's really good at doing is getting guys into space uncovered. They, they do it frequently. Uh, and I think Ebron's going to make, you know, more than his share of big plays. The question is, will he have you know, the, the weekly Florida to sustain it. Will he be playing enough snaps, getting enough targets? Is Vance McDonald a factor? And on and on. But the point is, <laughs> I'm I'm so easily distracted. Um, Ebron's sitting there at 21, and he's a viable guy. Like, like three, four weeks from now, we might all be going, oh, wow, Ebron's going to be TE1 all year long. It, it's possible. There's no doubt it's possible, right? And again, he's at 21. I've got 20 guys I like better. Um, so... Tight end is not a position really in any format where you're going to be hurting. The exception would be a large league, like a 14-team league where it's tight end premium scoring and you've got flex spots for tight ends. Then, obviously, the dynamic changes completely. My rankings stay basically the same, but where you're going to be taking them in the draft obviously changes. Uh, and, you know, I can't really help you because it's going to depend on 
Well, I can help you, but I can't get specific because it's going to depend on the degree of tight end premium scoring. For example, I have a league where the tight end simply gets an extra 0.5 in his receptions. And that matters. Don't get me wrong. That's absolutely premium scoring. Everybody's getting 0.5. Tight end's getting the full. But I have another league where the tight end gets 1.5. Everybody else gets 0.5, plus he gets 0.5 for, t- for first downs. So and that, so that's an extreme version of tight end premium scoring. So, uh, And there's obviously variance uh, in between. So, you know, always look at the degree to which tight ends gain value when you're playing tight end premium. Sometimes, you know, if it's a quarter point or something, you don't want to pay that much attention to it. Um, with one qualifier, you do have to sort of anticipate that other teams may pay attention to it. So if the tight ends are flying, you may have to get involved at some point earlier than you like because you you don't want to get shut out. If all teams are drafting three tight ends, you know, you don't want to be starting Will Disley or, or you know, Greg Olson or, you know, something like that. Um, so I've got this thing broken down where there's three guys in an elite tier, and Mark Andrews is included in that tier. Then I've got Ertz in his own tier, then Waller and Ingram in a tier, then Hurst and Hawkinson in a tier, right? And really, you know, I really will not attack these tiers in certain parts of the draft. Like, obviously, I think the guys in the top tier are going to go in the first 30 picks. Ertz probably goes within the next 10 picks after that. Once these guys are off the board, I'm not going anywhere near tight end for rounds and rounds, okay? So, you know, I'm very willing to get an elite option at tight end, and I'll pay to do it. But I am not going to get a tight end who's roughly the caliber of player I'm going to get rounds later. Like, I'm not, you know, in a tight end premium league, I did take Ingram in the in the sixth round this year. I've done it, and I've, heck, I've done it twice. I think maybe the seventh and another. But that's a tight end premium format. In a single tight end, non-premium format, once the real elites and Ertz would be the last one are gone, you know, and that's somewhere in the third or the fourth, I'm probably not looking at tight end until the eighth round, probably, and and hopefully not even then. Hopefully there hasn't been a lot of movement and I can keep holding off. Although, this brings me to actually a, a, a point. I mean, what I just said, sort of bullshit. <laughs> I, I mean, basically, sometimes if the tight ends aren't going, all that means is that the other positions are getting thin earlier. So you really have to read the room. When when If the tight ends are staying on the board because people are making picks you don't like, that's awesome. You're snatching up the players who are still on the board. If it's a tight draft and everybody's drafting really well and the tight ends are staying on the board and the guy you really want is there in the eighth, there can be some benefit to going tight end and starting the run. So it really, you sort of have to look at the board and, you know, am I in a tough draft? Am I in a really, you know, am I in a really easy draft where people are making Gomer picks all over the place? Um, you know, that, you look at your board, you look at what's going on and, you know, you, you sort of have to read the room in the situation, but it can depend on when you want to actually pull that trigger. My general disposition, as I mentioned the other day in the quarterbacks, you know, I like to make heavy picks as long as I can possibly make them. As long as there's something in the board that I really, really like. I'm probably, you know, at at running back and receiver, I'm going to go that way pretty much until I can't do that anymore. And then I'm going to pivot to the best tight end or quarterback on the board. The times where this is going to change would be if for some reason some elite option is still on the board. So, you know, Ertz isn't going to, you know, make it to that point because I would snatch him up, you know, maybe in the sixth or something like that. All right. Um, 
you know, but maybe one of the elite quarterbacks has stayed on the board too long. Maybe I didn't go, maybe Deshaun Watson's on the board for some weird reason. Um, and I didn't take him in the sixth and seventh because other better values that I liked even more on the board. And now Watson's coming back at me a third time within the window that I find acceptable for him as a draft pick. Well, I'll take him, right? I, even if there's a receiver that I like on the board, I've got a six round guy on the board, right? So there, you know, there's exceptions to every rule, but with tight end, it, you know, I have six elite quarterbacks that I'm willing to bend my rules for a little bit. I've only got four tight ends like that, okay? And then really, once I get past the fourth tier on my board, which is um, Hayden, Hurst, and Hawkinson, you know, at that point, I'm really going to be patient because there's just nobody left that I have to have. So, you know, I'd like to end up with a guy I really like, but, you know, sometimes... You know, guys like Fant and Janu Smith, they will stay on the board a long time. And even if I get shut out on those guys, I can pivot, you know, to Chris Herndon and Gusecki, guys like that. And if I get shut out on them, I'm down in that Jarwin, Ian Thomas, Eric Ebron part of the board. And I'm, I can survive down there. And if you get shut out on that, you're going to be able to stream with some pretty good options. You know, even after that, there are guys. So, you know, tight end is not a position to pay a premium on. It's not a position to pass up a, you know, a, a player at the scarcity position just because you have some personal love for a particular tight end. Like maybe you've really bought into the Hayden Hurst getting all these targets in Atlanta, being the third option and suddenly being a guy who's getting peppered with targets after, you know, you know, collecting dust for years in Baltimore, right? You, it's okay to buy into that. I sort of buy into that too, but we don't want to let that seep into our heart and suddenly be like, oh, I just have to get Hayden Hurst on my team to prove that I'm right. Look, even if he's not on your team, you'll, you can be right, right? He has a big year. You were right. I mean, the bottom line is you want to do what's best for your team. Um, and reaching for Hayden Hurst, you know, uh, in like the seventh round for me is a mistake. Um, you know, it, I really can't think of any time I would do that, and I'm high on the player. It's just not a good place to be taking tight ends. There's a, you know, it, it, there's probably going to be a player in the seventh round who shouldn't be on the board anymore. That's clear cut. So I, you know, for me, tight ends. If I'm not going elite early, I'm looking to start taking them in the eighth or the ninth round. Ideally, that's really where I want to go. And you know, for me, again, the best possible draft scenario. For this year is that I enter the ninth round with four running backs and four receivers that I love. It's really hard for any draft room to hurt me at that point. There's really nothing you can do to me that's going to knock me off my game. So now again, if I'm in the eighth round and there's no running back left on the board that I love and the receivers have thinned out because it's a tough room, I'm absolutely willing to be four and three or three and four instead of four and four and grab that tight end that I really like or grab that um, quarterback that might be on the board that I really like. That's fine. But I'm just saying in a perfect world, I'm going four and four and I'm going like quarterback in the ninth, tight end in the 10th. And I'm probably most of the time coming away with a quarterback well inside my top 12, who is a QB one on my board and a tight end that's the same. Um, so again, the longer you can stay heavy, the longer you can keep hammering high value upside picks at running back and receiver, the better off you're going to be. And the tight end position and the quarterback position, they make it really easy on you this year. You're going to be able to sort of jump into that pool whenever the, the timing is right for you. So that's sort of the overview of the tight end position. 
every reason in the world to be patient. Lots of cool payoffs up and down the line, depending on when you want to jump in. Um, you know, for me, I'd really want to try to make a run at a guy like Hawkinson. He's sort of my dream guy is getting like Hawkinson in the ninth or the 10th. Um, but you know, if, if, if Evan Ingram's on, on the board, um, instead, that's great. If Hayden Hurst is on the board in that area, that's fine. Uh, I'm willing to look at a Gronkowski share here and there, though I'm not as high as some other people, but that's the sweet spot for me. Okay. So there's your overview. Let's just start going through these guys one by one. I've mentioned them a lot of them already. I talked about them when we did tight ends with Lord Reeves. Obviously, you guys have the 500. So I'm not going to sit here and give you an hour-long scouting report on each player. But I'm just going to sort of give you real quick where I'm at uh, with, the, with each one of these tight ends. Okay, so starting off at the top, um, I've got Kelsey and Kittle neck and neck. Uh, I think Kittle's the upside play. Kelsey's sort of the floor play. Um, they both have some injury potential. Kelsey, because, you know, he's got that knee stuff from way back when. And he's had, you know, Kelsey gets dinged up here and there like everybody else. He's an aggressive guy. Uh, and Kittle, I think his style of play in particular will lead to some injuries. I mean, this is a guy who enjoys contact, let's face it. Uh, but he's also great. And uh, if they start targeting him, you know, say 10, 20% upticks in uptick in targets, uh, dear God, I mean, who knows what Kittle might be, um, you know, capable of. So, you know, I think Kelsey and Kittle really anywhere after the elite running backs are viable picks. Um, I think most people tend to say, well, if one gets to me in the second, I'll go that way. Uh, and that's fine. Um, you know, I, I'm not opposed to going for one in the first. If you're uncomfortable with everything else that's there, you want to just take what's solid and you want one of these guys and you're, you know, if I think some people quite reasonably may be in the first round and say, Hey, I don't see different, uh, much of a difference between what might get to me in the second and what I'm going to take right now. And what I'm really hoping in the second is one of these tight ends gets to me. Well, Maybe just take the tight end now and then take highest ranking player on your board in the second round. Um, and you'll end up with a scenario that you were actually hoping for by inverting the order. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking Kelsey or Kittle in the first round. They're that good. They give you that big of an advantage. Um, the other elite guy is Mark Andrews. Um, now, why is Andrews separated from Ertz and sort of attached to Kittle and Kelsey? You could put Andrews in his own tier, sort of the second tight end tier, one player tier. That's fine. Um, the reason Andrews is more with the elites than with Ertz, who is also elite in his own right, um, it, it, you know, and why is it's more about why is Andrews separated from Ertz versus why is he up with the other two? And the reason he's separated from Ertz is because I just see his targets being so much easier to count on. We know Ertz is going to be a big factor in Philadelphia, but the emergence of these outside weapons and the emergence of the running backs could. And, and, you know, let's not forget Dallas Goddard could just sort of even out the way the targets flow there. And, you know, I think Ertz could just be more of a consistent seven, eight targets a week, which will make him a big time fantasy option. But Andrews, I think, has that potential, even without injury to his teammates, to be in that eight, nine, nine, ten area each week. And he's a little bit more explosive for big, you know, big play touchdowns. So I'm just, I'm giving Edward um, Andrews, excuse me, did I call him Edwards before? Um, Mark Andrews, Baltimore. I'm giving Andrews um, the nod. And, you know, now is Andrews a little more risky? Is he a little bit more prone to major injury um, because he's a yard after the catch kind of guy and teams are going to be loading up for him? Yeah, maybe. But I I think we're getting, hunt, you know, we're getting a little too esoteric there. Um, so my top end um, 
tier for the tight ends, Kelsey, Kittle, and then Andrews. I'm willing to take all of those players in the second round. Now, Andrews, I would not take in the first. Okay, so, you know, we can consider Andrews his own tier, as I said before. Now, Ertz, also his own tier. I'm very willing to take Ertz. You know, really, any t- any place where I'm like, man, I don't like any of these other guys, maybe I'll take Zach Ertz. What's happening to Zach Ertz for me, the reason I'm not ending up with a lot of shares, is that I, you know, once I get into that late third round area, the receiver value is so good, it's so extreme, and because I have some other tight ends later on that I like a lot from an upside perspective, it becomes tough to turn down a DJ Moore at the end of the third, or, you know... I mean, you name it. There's so many of these receivers that are amazing. But, you know, A.J. Brown and D.J. Shark and Juju or Cooper Cup, you know, any of these guys um, are guys you want to just lock in um, as your second or third receiver and you just feel amazing about it. So that is what, for me, is is hurting my Earth shares. Um, but, again, Earth's very good option. Um, and now let's talk about and, – and the thing that makes Earth's valuable, by the way, while we're there, it's the floor. Like, Zach Ertz is never going to disappear on you. He's just too, he's just, he is the main cog in that passing game on the target side of it. He's the most trustworthy option they have. He's the guy who answers the bell. He plays hurt. Uh, and the quarterback absolutely loves him. So, you know, Ertz could, even on a bad year, he can only slip so far. He's a floor player. And then you can get a year like last year where other guys start going down and Ertz, like, becomes the offense. So, definitely a good guy to pick. No problems with Zach Ertz. Uh, Darren Waller, uh, similar to Ertz, you know, he's a guy where the offense has grown around him. There are more go- more players they want to target now. So I think, you know, the, the games where Waller's just getting targeted over and over and over again are going to be fewer and further between. Uh, but having said that, he broke out. He was clearly a big-time player last year. Um, uh, you know, probably not a guy I'm really looking to take, to be honest. Uh, and I think where he's ranked at 74 overall is sort of indicative of that. Um, but it's hard to pull him much lower in the rankings than I have him. Um, you know, I would put Ingram ahead of him and maybe even Ertz if I had 100% confidence in Ingram's ability to stay healthy. But that's still something he needs to prove. And it, it, it's not so much about him proving he can not suffer a new injury. It's It's more... It's somewhat that, but it's more about the foot injury he's coming back from is, you know, potentially tricky. He, you know, setbacks with, um, he had something that was in the area of a Liz Frank. It was like a bone near the Liz Frank that was like causing problems with um, the tendon getting like inflamed and stuff. So they had to like, I don't know, like move a bone around in his foot to sort of relief pressure. This is the best way I can describe it. I read it in an article, but He's doing well. I did see some footage of him running. He looks pretty good. But, you know, until you're leaning into people and putting your weight into that thing and really getting out of breaks at 100%, um, the way we might see in a preseason game, I'm going to be a little bit cautious. So love Ingram for the upside. Some mild concern. Very mild, but, you know, some concern about that foot. Uh, Hayden Hurst. No real concerns about the health. He's my seventh tight end. Love the situation for him in Atlanta. You, you guys know I've been a big uh, believer in Hurst's talents for a long time. He's a two-way tight end. He's a good blocker. He's good with the football in his hands. He can run the ball after the catch. Uh, and he's an excellent route runner with a good head turn. Catches the football. I'd be really surprised if Hayden Hurst bombed out. Um, you know, gets hurt, maybe. But bombing out in this scheme with this type of opportunity... 
it would really surprise me. He's just too good a player. Um, now, coming in at eight is a guy who's got as much upside as Ingram. Um, TJ Hawkinson, you guys know how I feel about him. Um, one of my favorite tight end prospects that I've ever uh, done film work on in college. This guy can do it all. He's a big-time blocker. <laughs> I mean a big-time blocker. Um, you know, he really is sort of like the next coming of Kittle in a lot of ways. The difference being that Hawkinson's college film was loaded with uh, receiver stuff, whereas Kittle, for whatever reason, they didn't want to... It's amazing that in college, George Kittle was just basically a blocker. Unreal. But Hawkinson was a do-it-all kind of guy. Obviously, Noah Fant was there doing a lot of uh, receiver-only stuff. Um, so Hawkinson had more blocking responsibilities, uh, and he crushed it. And But when whenever they used him... Quite frankly, he was the better guy in the passing game. So Hawkinson is now playing on a team with a strong-arm quarterback with a lot of confidence, and he's got receivers playing on the outside that can just dominate down the field in these intermediate and deep areas on the outside. So you've got these guys who can work downfield outside the numbers, a quarterback with a cannon. You've got a good deep running game, so teams can't ignore the run. Um you know, if, if Hawkinson is healthy, and we're going to get to that in a second, if he's healthy, I mean, they should be able to spring him on teams four or five times a game and just crush. Um, I'm talking about where you just sort of get him into space, working against zone or, you know, going against the grain, uh, you know, on maybe a, you know, a, a fake pitch or something like that. But in, in addition to that, you can just get Hawkinson out, you can slot him, you can bring him off. If he's got somebody on him, he can win the route. This is a guy who can win routes. Um, you know, you know what I was talking about before is the way I would like to sort of you see O.J. Howard use or just get the damn ball in his hands. But Hawkinson's a guy, yeah, he'll knock people down after the catch. He will also win at the catch point. He will also um, come out of a break against a linebacker or a strong safety and separate. So this is a big-time talent, okay? Um, now... What's the concern? Well, the concern's the ankle and that he's never really done it before outside of a couple big weeks. I've got him ranked higher, I think, than most anywhere you're going to see. But we want to let ADP be our guide. We don't want to reach for Hawkinson in the sixth round just because we think he's worth it if we know we can get him in the eighth and usually the ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, right? I've got him I've got him as late as the fourteenth. So you know, it's up to you how much you want to play around with Hawkinson. You know, it's a tough game for me because I want the player and. I'm going to pretty much, I, I, you know, I'm not going to lean in so far that I'm paying too much, but I'm not going to mess around and see if he gets to me in the 13th either. Most times I think I'm going to be acting in the 8th, 9th, 10th, or 11th um, going after Hawkinson. The reason I would wait would just be because there are other compelling things on the board. So maybe, you know, if I'm getting, you know, say it's like, all right, I'm, I'm thinking... See, I take a quarterback in the eighth, and I'm looking to take Hawkinson in the ninth. And when I come up to get him, no other tight ends have been taken. And let's just say that, um, you know, Will Fuller's still on the board, something loony. Um, let's say Stephon Diggs is still on the board. Um, A.J. Green is still on the board. Um, you know, something like that. Um I may decide to play the game a little bit more. Take that guy who I know shouldn't be there, grab one more stud player, um, knowing that if I don't get Hawkinson, I've got some other guys that I like. But the reason I have a lot of belief in Hawkinson, and I apologize, every now and then I'll get into one of my injuries, but when I played tennis uh, high school and college, and I played volleyball for a few decades uh, after, one of the, the body parts that I have just... 
<laughs> really fucked up bad are my ankles. I've had full-blown ankle sprains on my left and my right multiple times. Um, I've sprained my right ankle probably 10 times, left one probably 7 times, and a couple on each side have been major. Um, one of the ones I did on the right side, the worst one I've ever had, um, I did, gosh, this is probably about 15 years ago, when I went to David Alcheck, the doctor, uh, the team doctor for the Mets, I was able to go to him because I worked for the Mets at the time. Uh, he literally looked at me and said, that's the worst sprained ankle I've ever seen. He's like, he was shocked that my, that my leg didn't break. He's like, normally when you see this much damage, the leg will break before this much soft tissue damage can occur. He's like, this is not going to be a fun rehab. Um, and uh, we're going to cut to the chase here. Long story short, you know, it took me 16 weeks um, to get back on the court. And I was not myself. I was playing a little bit hurt. I came back to play in some playoff games. Um, and then after that, I shut it down for another couple weeks. Um, but certainly six months later, I was playing and I was playing pretty well. Um, playing well, meaning I was moving well. Um, now getting to, and here's where we're coming back to the player in question, getting like to a hundred percent to where my ankle, where that ankle injury was no longer a factor for me. That took over a year. It definitely did. And part of that is because I kept playing on it, <laughs> right? Um, so th you, there's a point in an injury where that last 5, 4, 3, 2, 1% can take a long time, but you get into a window where you're going to be able to play on the thing. So there was a big, you know, sort of kerfuffle a week or so ago when Hawkinson said he wasn't 100% yet. You know, I prom, well, I'm not going to promise, but... I'm pretty confident that what, what he meant there is that he's still got some residual swelling occasionally. That's all. Meaning he pretty much means he still has to put an ice bag on that bad boy after practice. And he'll probably be doing that most of the year. And quite frankly, people who've had ankle stuff, I still ice my ankles sometimes after I play. It's not because they're messed up. It's because I've had ankle stuff my whole life. So the point here is we need to pay attention to semantics and what they mean. Some guy says he's not 100% yet. Think about the injury, right? If a guy says his hamstring isn't 100% yet, that's meaningful. If a guy says an ankle injury that he had last season, you know, is only 95% and it's getting better, that's par for the course. So Hawkinson, from where I sit, is pretty much par for the course. He's already practicing. He should be out there week one, and I think he can have a monster year. Let him fall to you if you don't have the same kind of confidence I have. He probably will. Um, and, you know, I'm fine with you guys not being as aggressive with this player as me. But I strongly recommend if this guy gets to you in the 11th or the 12th, man, even if you already have a tight end, consider it. Because Hawkinson is potentially a guy where by week four or five, you could trade him for a number two receiver or more. Okay? He's got that kind of upside. So, if you, you know, and, and let's stop for a second here. I said... Take him as your second tight end. Now, in some leagues, that might not be doable just because the league benches are so short and it's not a trading kind of league. So if you're in a league where nobody trades and there's no value to having a second tight end, maybe you don't do that. Um, but as long as you can make deals, man, anytime you see a player that late with that kind of upside, these are the kind of players we want to target. Um, it's the same kind of reason we want to target wide receivers um, in that same area like Christian Kirk, um, John Brown, C.D. Lamb, Darius Slayton, Jalen Rieger, Henry Ruggs, um, you know, Curtis Samuel, Paris Campbell, guys like this. Because they can, if they hit, they drastically outperform their position and they put us in position to shift things around, to make deals, to upgrade guys who are, you know, who are in our lineup. 
to win leagues, <laughs> you know. Okay. So Hawkins, Hawkinson, you guys know I love. Now you know I love him even more. Uh, Gronkowski, I, you know, I went at length describing what I think of this situation in his blurb. Obviously, we're talking about the greatest tight end who's ever walked the earth. Um, so <laughs> he's playing. He's not that old. So he's going to make my top 12. He's playing with his own quarterback. There's a lot to like here. But we're talking about a guy who's older now. We saw that Gronk wasn't really the same old Gronk the last time we saw him on the field with the Patriots. Now, he did make some freaking big plays, but they were sort of, you know, he sort of willed some of that stuff to happen. And so, hey, it's important to know he can still will stuff to happen. But he doesn't, he's not quite as twitchy as he used to be. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't run with that same smooth gait that he used to have. Not that Gronk was ever smooth, but it's not as smooth as it used to be. So, that's a factor. Now you got a year layoff. Now there's positives to that, but there are negatives to that as well. You've got him going into a new scheme. Could be some positives, could be some negatives. He's going to a team that doesn't block as well. Does that mean he'll have to block more? I don't know, but it's definitely not good for Brady, and it's an indication that Kronk's route tree may not be may not feature as many of the deeper routes as we're used to seeing in the past. And look, last but not least, Let's not forget, Arians has not been tight end friendly. Now, Brady has, Arians hasn't. That probably breaks in the direction of Brady, but who knows? And we're talking about an offense that's talking about featuring two tight ends for a coach who's never gotten a whole lot of production out of the position. There is some oddness in this whole thing. You know, I don't know how much I want to predict about Tampa's offense until I see it. This is, I mean, it's exciting in terms of what are we going to see, but when you're investing in it, it can be a little disconcerting. Um, you know, so Tampa Bay, to me, has a very wide range of outcomes. Uh, and when I get their guys at value, I'm more than happy to do it. But I'm concerned about the pass protection. And I'm concerned that they've been talking about getting the ball downfield. Um, I think they're going to be more successful in a get-the-ball-out-of-Brady's-hands kind of style. We'll have to see which way they actually go. Um so I'm willing to go with Gronkowski. Uh, I just think it's important. Oh, and the one thing I didn't mention, remember there's two alpha receivers. Has Gronk ever played with two Pro Bowl receivers? So there's a lot of reason why he may not get the diet we're accustomed to. Um, so that's that's why I've got him uh, in the nine hole. Uh, Tyler Higby up at 10. Um, Reeves sort of... Lord Reeves, when I talked to him, sort of, and, and Silva as well, have sort of talked me back into Higby. Um, it seems like he's really going to be the guy. I was really impressed with what we saw of this guy last year. Um, of all the guys after eight on my board, I think Higby probably has the best chance at moving up into like the top five, top six. If he, I mean, all he has to do is continue what he did last year and he can do it. Um, so I think Higby is a nice pick where he's going because you get some upside in there as well. Um, and like I said, Silva and Lord Reeves have sort of given me a little bit more confidence in that floor. Um, next up is Hunter Henry, and he's a guy nobody seems to be talking about, and I think I know why. <laughs> I think he's a guy we don't want to deal with him because he's very talented, and who knows, he could end up having a big year, but they've, they've moved, the quarterback position has moved I would say, into a less tight end friendly place. The offense is moving away from volume. And this is a player who's gotten hurt seriously several times. He's never been a guy who's given us like a full big time year. But then again, he's really good. So, you know, Henry is a guy where I'm definitely willing to go after Hunter Henry as my primary guy. But the more I'm watching the way people are reacting to him, I want to let him fall to me. 
Um, next up, Noah Fant. Upside is extreme. I do think there's some downside just because there's so many good players on that offense. But man, if Noah Fant hits, he could hit really big. Same exact thing with Janu Smith. If the targets end up being, if he ends up with like a real legitimate target floor, I mean, who knows what he could do. Um, I mean, Smith is one of these guys who can go off on, you know, on a handful of targets. But when I went back and looked at his snap totals, I found that in about half of his games, I mean, I found eight games with two or fewer targets, um, three games with zero, um, four games with one and a couple with two. So, you know, that's an issue. Now, look, do I expect him to have as many of those games this year? No, I really don't. Uh, but the most targets he saw in a game was seven. Uh, one other week he saw six. The rest of the season was five or less. Um, I mean, obviously, if you want to get a floor for this player where you can count on him on a weekly basis to give you some contribution, um, we need to get that target floor up to, you know, three or four and have the good weeks at seven or eight. If he can get to that, now all of a sudden we've got ourselves a tight end one and a guy who could move up into the elite. So to me, that's really about uh, where it is with Janu is getting those targets. He's a good blocker. Um, you know, he plays, you know, it's not a question of snaps. I mean, he's you know, his snap total, 718 from last year, that's a, a very reasonable snap total. Most weeks he was in there on most of the plays. He led the team in snaps at the position. Not what I'm worried about. Um, and, I, you know, even that 718, I think, is low reflective of being a 50% snap guy until about week 7 or 8. So I think if you, you know, if, if we project this year's snaps, um, if it's the same rough number of team snaps, I think, uh, gosh, uh, the Titans head somewhere in the area of a, a thousand offensive snaps. I think, you know, this year, Janu Smith can get up around 900. He can play more snaps this year. And that in and of itself will lead to some more targets. But he needs to be targeted more often when he's on the field uh, if we really want to get the payoff. All right, moving right along. And this podcast, like I thought, is going to go longer than the QBs. We're going to be here a little bit longer. Um, but we're moving into the, uh, the deeper section. Some of you guys may want to bail out if you're in you know, really shallow leagues or something. Um, but next up is Austin Hooper. And for those of you who caught my podcast uh, with Lord Reeves, you'll know that he's still a believer in Hooper's floor. Uh, and you know what? I am as well, which is why I have him here right with the fringe tight end ones. Um, Hooper and Janu Smith to me are like equivalent values. I'm more of a Janu Smith kind of guy because I think he can bust out where I don't really see bust out potential from Hooper. I see some floor, but you know, not much in terms of bust out. I just don't think Austin Hooper's that great a player. I think he's good, you know. Um, so if you need a solid tight end, um, you know, I, Austin Hooper, Jared Cook, those guys are solid options. Um, Next guy up for me is Chris Herndon. I've got him at 15. He's going off the board right now as tight end 20. Uh, so you might be able to mess around and get Herndon at value, um, <laughs> particularly if you're in a New York <laughs> league. <laughs> New York, the only area where like fans take their players later. Jet fans don't want Jet players. It's great. Um, <laughs> but uh, normally it's a hometown uh, pro uh, you know, premium you have to pay. Uh, it, with the Jets, you get a hometown discount. But uh, Herndon, I've talked about him a lot. We've talked about him in years past. He's a very tight, uh, very talented tight end. Um, he's a guy who is a pure receiver who's learning to play tight end. Uh, he's going to be more receiver than blocker most of the time. He has put on some weight. He has improved his blocking. Um, and, but this does get into the area that concerns me because if you know Adam Gase 
is just there to wreck our good times, whether it's, you know, costing the Jets a win or just respectability on a given week or whether he's pissing on our fantasy players. He's just he's just a shithead and we have to deal with him. He's a reality. He exists and he's going to be messing up the Jets a little bit. And, you know, look, they extended Ryan Griffin last year. And it's nothing against Ryan Griffin. He's a reasonably decent, you know, backup caliber tight end can be your starter if you're an NFL team if you're desperate. The problem the problem is if Gase doesn't view Herndon as a full-time tight end, if he's going to be pulling Herndon off the field on early downs and bringing him in when we're behind and on third downs and second and long and that kind of thing, that's going to hurt Herndon's floor. He'll still have some punch. He's still going to have some big weeks, but it's going to be harder to predict when those big weeks are going to happen. Um, that's my concern with Herndon. I, if Herndon's the full-time tight end for the Jets, I'm pretty sure you're going to have a startable option in most fantasy leagues. Um, and I'm drafting him right about where I have him. I want to get him ahead of his ADP because I want the player, you know, that is if I'm still in the tight end market in that part of the draft. Hopefully I've got Hawkinson in the 10th. Uh, but, um... You know, Herndon's a guy I'm very willing to pull the trigger on because, like with, you know, Janu Smith and some other, some other of these guys, Herndon's got legit upside. He's a guy who could score, you know, a fair amount of touchdowns. He's going to make, you know, big plays. Herndon tends to get targeted 15, 20 yards down the field. Uh, and, again, he is a receiver. Chris Herndon is a big guy who got moved to tight end, but, you know, you know, it would be so great if he was on a team where they would just split their tight end in the slot and let him go. But, you know, he may have to play a lot of traditional tight end with the Jets, and that's where my trepidation is. Basically, I'm not worried about the player. I'm not worried about the quarterback. I'm not worried about the connection between the two. I'm worried about the Jets. Um, <laughs> just far for the course, comes with the territory. What are you going to do? Um, moving on to Mike Gusecki. Um, we've talked about him uh, throughout the offseason. I'm a fan of his game, particularly just his ability to make catches. You know, he's not particularly good in and out of breaks. Uh, he doesn't do everything well. Sometimes he can be a little sticky, meaning he's not getting separation. But if the ball is catchable, He's going to catch it. I mean, this guy's got some hands. He's got body control. Gets a good head turn. He's a good receiver. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy where we may be able to start picking matchups on him. You know, if you've got two tight ends and you're using matchups, Kaseki could be a good guy in that sense. Um, and as I say in the, um, in the 500, uh, I am worried that his quarterback play will decline over the course of the year. Um, so, you know, that's a thing. If they go away from Fitz, I mean, obviously... You know, if you're a Dolphin fan, you want to get the Tua thing going, I would too. But I do think for statistical purposes, your tight end might be better off with the veteran. Uh, Jared Cook is next. Oh, and one more thing with Kaseki. We I, I, I can't remember where we talked about this, but I'm just going to get into this a little bit. Um, oh, you know where I talked about it? I when, when I when I sat in with the Wolf of Roto Street, we talked about this. So some of you guys may not have seen that. So the thing with Kaseki. Uh, and it goes to Chan Gailey. People say Chan Gailey is very tight end unfriendly, and that's true if you go back and look at just the statistics. But the truth of the matter is, he, he was with the Jets when the Jets barely even had players at the position. He was with Buffalo when the best thing they had up there was like Scott Chandler. He basically played on teams for six or seven years in a row where there was no tight end talent, like none. So, you know, I'm not going to blame him that he didn't force the ball to weaker guys and he ended up using more receivers. That's a guy who's adapting to his talent. We like that. In this situation, 
Gusecki's the talent. I think he'll adopt to Gusecki. Uh, and if you go back with Chan Gailey, go back to his time with Tony Gonzalez, he used Tony Gonzalez. He got plenty out of him. So uh, I'm not worried about the Chan Gailey factor. I think Gailey tends to take his two or three best players and focus on them. And I think that's going to be, you know, Parker, Preston, and uh, Gusecki. So I think you're probably in pretty good shape with Mike Gusecki. Um Jared Cook next up, you know, solid guy. Uh, I thought Reeves said it well, which is why he's a little bit down my board. You know, Cook is a guy who will, in concentrated bursts, look great, but he's going to have some down games. If you're willing, just having a tight end that gives you scoring punch but not scoring consistency, Cook's good. If you want to, if you really want to make sure you're getting points from your tight end every week, eh, not as sure. Okay, now that's the end of a tier, by the way. Um, just to sort of go through this, um, Gronkowski, Higby, Hunter Henry, Noah Fant, Janu Smith was a tier, and then Hooper, Herndon, Gusecki, J- uh, Jared Cook for me is a tier, and then uh, Jarwin, Ian Thomas, Dallas Goddard, and Ebron uh, are the tier we're about to talk about. Now, Blake Jarwin, if Blake Jarwin played on a Dallas team that had a dominant number one receiver, a mediocre number two, and a typical slot guy who's going to play sometimes but not all the time, I would say, you know, this Jarwin guy could score a lot. And he's probably going to get a little bit of, you know, four to five point weekly floor without the touchdowns. He could be a fringe tight end one with some upside. I do like Jarwin. He's got good movement ability for a guy his size. Seems to catch it pretty well. Uh, I think he will do well when they target him. The problem here is obvious. You've got a running, running back who eats up a lot of touches and targets. You've got three receivers who are all capable of being wide receiver ones. I think, you know, talent-wise, Cooper is a wide receiver one. C.D. Lamb projects to be a wide receiver one. Gallup, probably more of a high-end two. These guys are talented. They don't have third receivers on this team. They've got twos and ones. Um, And, you know, Gallup, some of you are probably going, Pete, Gallup's a one. Hey, you know what? Maybe. Um, But when you've got three receivers who are that talented, the tight end's going to spend a lot of time just buying time for those receivers. I think Jarwin's going to block a lot because, you know, how much more do you need than Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, and Michael Gallup? Especially when you've got a release valve running back like Zeke, who's really good, and if Zeke's not back there, you've got Pollard, who's a little more dynamic in terms of making people miss, maybe creating the big play. So... Dallas has got a lot of really good places to put the football. I think that hurts Jarwin. Not Jarwin doesn't hurt Jarwin. The situation hurts Jarwin. So I like Jarwin as a guy you can stick in there, give you a a good solid shot at a good week. But I do think there's going to be some intermittency, just logistically. You know, Um, Ian Thomas, very similar to Blake Jarwin. The difference is. And the reason I may, I've been flipping these two guys back and forth. The reason I'm a little bit more interested in Thomas, and I may put him back ahead of Jarwin, this is this is one of those things where it's like one guy has shown us more and he's in a more proven offense, that's Jarwin. But the thing with Ian Thomas, where he's in a similar situation where they've got three very special receivers, right? Maybe not quite as good as Dallas's, but still very special talents at receiver. And then you've got, unlike Dallas, you've got... Now, you've got a great running back in both places, but in Carolina, the great running back is a phenomenal receiver who's going to be targeted a ton. So DJ Moore is going to get a ton of targets. I think Anderson and Samuel are going to get a lot of targets. The running back is going to get a ton of targets. What's left over for Ian Thomas? That's the question. Now, the good part, Thomas isn't going to leave the field, so he's always going to be an option. And because Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a little bit less of a downfield aggressive quarterback, the tight end may see more targets. So 
Ian Thomas um, and Blake Jarwin, both similar areas on my board. I think Thomas maybe has a little bit more breakout potential, and maybe Jarwin, because of the offense, has a little bit more floor. And like yesterday, once again, we've got the ambulances going. Sorry about that, folks. I'm just going to keep talking this time. Next up, Dallas Goddard. Now, Goddard is here sort of, he's sort of just sitting here based on talent. If Dallas Goddard were the number one tight end on his team, he'd be in the top 10, maybe even in the top six. He's a big-time talent. He's a guy who can score touchdowns in bunches. Um, and it's really just a question of how big is his role going to be um, on the Eagles because they have imported some outside weapons. Um, and, you know, last year we saw that second tight end becoming a real factor every week. If they're dominating on the outside with these new receivers and they start running more, maybe Goddard isn't getting targeted as much. So right now we're sort of in a holding pattern with him. We're not going to know his role until we see a couple games. But he stays pretty high on my board for two reasons. One, injuries to any of the receivers in Philadelphia will start raising his target profile, okay? Look, on every team there's likely to be an injury or two, right? So as the season progresses, I think Goddard likely becomes more involved. And then, but here's the other big one. If something happens to Ertz, Dallas Guard suddenly becomes a monster. He basically takes Ertz's spot in the pecking order for the tight ends. He moves up to like the four or the five spot. Okay, so I waited out that ambulance. <laughs> Man, I don't know what's going on the last couple days around here. Um... So yeah, Goddard, he's there basically for talent and because of what would happen if he ended up getting the gig or if he started to expand due to injury to you know non-tight ends as, as it happened last year. Um, and then Ebron's the next guy up. Now, if you know there are situations where I'll take Ebron ahead of Goddard, like if I'm drafting for somebody to play early in the season. Although, I mean, there's no, no guarantee that Ebron's chances are going to be that much higher. I'm rethinking that like as it came out of my mouth. Um, but certainly he has more early season upside. Um, when we get, we talked about Ebron before, when we get past him, we're getting into this tier of guys. There's a lot of players here who I think have a lot of potential, but what we don't know is, you know, what what is the role going to be? Um, and for some of these guys, it has to do with you know, the other tight end on the team. So, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll hit the Minnesota guys first. Uh, I've got Irv Smith at 157, um, and I've got Rudolph sort of down in a lower tier at 195. Uh, I've got Irv Smith and Jack Doyle sort of uh, both in their own floating tiers right now. Now, Irv Smith is, you know, the first guy after Ebron. Why? Because he is just a really talented player with a ton of upside if they use him enough question is, will they? I'm hearing a lot of people saying they're going to be playing a ton of two tight end. I've heard a lot of people saying that Irv Smith is going to be playing, exclu you know, um, not ex not only on third downs, but playing them all the time. Um, he's going to be a regular on third down. Um, you know, I know Irv Smith is destined to be a top 10 tight end fantasy-wise someday. I feel that in my bones. But, you know, when it's going to happen is an open question. I totally buy into the idea that it could happen this year, even with Kyle Rudolph there. It's just one of those things I sort of have to see before I believe it. Um, but Smith is a big-time guy, big-time. Uh, now, Jack Doyle, I don't personally see the upside, and I'm worried about Trey Burton's role in this offense, but Jack Doyle right now looks like a guy who should give you a fairly you know, steady four or five points a week, occasionally score. Maybe that you know he's going to do more than that, but here's my thing. If they're really going to pepper Jack Doyle with tons of targets, I don't think he lasts. Jack Doyle, I don't think Jack Doyle... 
I don't think he holds up to that type of usage personally. Um, and hey, Trey Burton, <laughs> you got to have the same kind of uh, uh, worries with him. He said trouble staying healthy, but I do like Burton in this scheme. Obviously, he's got history with Reich. Um, this is a, this could be a really good situation for Trey Burton. Love him as a deep flyer in tight end premium leagues. Um, Kyle Rudolph obviously could be an elite fantasy tight end if he just played on a team that wanted to use his targets, but they use him to block quite a bit. They tend to feature him down near the goal line, probably going to be the case going forward. Certainly always has the possibility of dropping a touchdown on you, um, so he's a viable tight end play. Uh, O.J. Howard, now we're down at 199 overall, my 26th tight end. Howard's got elite upside because he's O.J. Howard, uh, but he's obviously on a team where tight ends have struggled at times. Gronkowski's there, two elite guys on the outside, some good young players who can feature in the slot. Obviously, there's just a lot of places they can go with the football outside of O.J. Howard. So O.J. Howard probably, I think, still in a holding pattern this year. We'll probably see brief glimpses of greatness, uh, but him getting steady fantasy caliber targets I, I, not something I'm willing to bet on right now. Same thing for Gerald Everett. Um, not as talented as O.J. Howard, but very talented after the catch. But I think Higby's got him sort of boxed out right now for that main role. Devin Asiasi uh, with New England could be the primary guy there, though the other rookie could factor in. Um, his blocking has been really good in practice, which should keep him on the field. And then we'll have to see how much of a factor he is in a deep tight end premium. He's viable. Uh, Jordan Aikens, next guy up, probably going to move him ahead of Asiasi because Aikens has been flashing in camp. Houston needs places to throw the football, particularly in the red zone. If Jordan Aikens forces his way into becoming the primary guy ahead of Fells, he could be quite the fantasy find this year. I mean, he really could be. I like the idea of Jordan Aikens at the end of my roster in leagues where I might want to use a, t a second tight end because of the scoring or what have you. Uh, and he could move right up into the picture of single tight end leagues if that role, if he can, you know, carve out the main role for tight ends on that team. Uh, definitely a guy I'm, I've got my eye on for the rest of the preseason and the first couple weeks is going to be Jordan Aikens. Would not surprise me one bit if he was featured prominently early on uh, in the waiver wire. Tyler Eifert up next. Look, I mean, who knows what Tyler Eifert can do? Uh, he, he's had so many injuries, we don't know if he's really the same guy. Apparently having a decent camp. Um, you know, the, the the kid who we really like uh, is out. He's not going to be there. He got hurt. Um, <laughs> I'm so bummed out. I'm like, uh, uh, like sleeping on his name right now. Um, but um, uh, Josh Oliver, sorry. Uh, Josh Oliver's out. We're not going to be seeing him for quite a while. Uh, so Eifert, you know, I, I would never take, like in a league where I need to take a tight end who's going to be there for me, I'm not looking for Eifert. He never lasts. But if I... You know, say I take Irv Smith or I take some tight end I'm not comfortable playing week one. You know, maybe Chris Herndon or somebody like that. Well, Herndon, I'm still playing over him. But, you know, if I take a tight end where it's an upside guy but I don't know about week one, as long as Eifert's starting, he's a pretty good week one play. So Eifert could be sort of a bridge guy to get you to your you know, high upside tight end by week two or three or something like that. Uh, Dawson Knox, next guy on the board. Definitely talented. The importing of digs, the fact that the receivers are so strong, you know, makes me think that Knox isn't going to have enough targets to be a weekly fantasy starter, but he does look like a guy we need to keep our eye on. Cole Komet, I like a lot. If he can just get the... <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of Jimmy Graham out of there, uh, I think this guy could really be something. Um, 
you know, it's just a question of doing it. Um, it's, uh, you know, they say Graham's had a good camp. He's been one of the best players in the field. I find that hard to believe. Um, but deep in a tight end premium league, if I, you know, if I have like back-to-back picks and I can just go commit Graham and play the starter, you know, that's toehold. Um, but for me, I think Komet is the guy with upside here. Uh, and I can see, again, in deep leagues and tight end premium or just early on in free agency, he could be a factor. Um, Jay Sternberger in Green Bay. Let's talk about Green Bay for a second. The thing with the pack right now is I know there's a lot of Jay Sternberger guys out there. And look, at one point, you guys may remember, I was one of them. I, I thought Sternberger's college film uh, was pretty interesting. Unfortunately, a lot of people jumped on him like he was the next great thing. Like, oh, Sternberger, he's going to be amazing. And at that point, I I begged off. I ended up with absolutely no shares of Sternberger in any of my dynasty leagues just because I thought the hype train was just out of control. I mean... I thought he was like a third-round dynasty target. I saw him going earlier than that, a lot earlier than that. And, you know, for me, you know, I had to bow out. It's just too rich. Um, you know, and now we're seeing Sternberger's coming in in his second year. Graham's not there to block the way anymore. And now Robert Tanyan is in his way. You know, nothing against Robert Tanyan. Um, we've seen him make a, some nice athletic plays here and there. But I would expect Sternberger to be ahead of him. So right now we've got Tanyan and Sternberger. We may have to wait for initial free agency for that to play out. If one of these guys takes the gig, they may be fantasy viable. Obviously, we we're hoping for Sternberger. But we're just going to have to see how this thing plays out. I, you know, right now in Dynasty, I think Sternberger's a hold. You paid for him. Uh, don't sell him on the low right now. I don't think there's any reason to do it. Uh, but he's not a redraft target for me right now. He's down where I have him ranked, 33 overall. Now, he can definitely move up if something changes. Uh, but as it stands right now, I think Tanyan has a better chance to be playing early on than Sternberger. And what are you going to do? Um, if we move over to Seattle... Um, you know, this is just a, a situation where I would be interested in Disley if Olsen wasn't there. I might be a little bit interested in Olsen if Disley wasn't there. They've also got Hollister, and they've still got Double L Wilson around. So, uh, you know, uh, that's Luke Wilson. They spell it with two L's. Um, so, you know, for me, there's just too too many tight ends in the mix on a team that really wants to hammer their two their two monster receivers. Uh, so for me, I'm gonna unless something changes in Seattle and one of these guys takes the thing, I'm, then maybe I'll target somebody in free agency. For right now, uh, most of the Seattle, well, all of the Seattle tight ends just aren't really in my plans. Um, now, when we go down, there's still some other tight ends left. I mean, you know, we just went through. <laughs> I mean, I just gave you my top. 37 guys, uh, there's still plenty more to talk about at the position. I'm just going to name some guys we still need to think about. I'm not going to get heavy into them. But, you know, Ryan Griffin on the Jets, he could take that job. I don't think he will, but it's, you know, it's just enough of a possibility with Gaze there that, you know, it's something. And if it happens, then Griffin would have some value. Vance McDonald's a guy to keep an eye on in Pittsburgh. Is that going to be a split? Logan Thomas is flashing for the Redskins. Could he be a factor? Um, if there are injuries in Indianapolis, don't forget about Mo Ali Cox, right? Um, you know, I want to find out what Ricky Seals Jr.'s health status is in Kansas City because he's an interesting player. Um, you know, guys who can become extremely good players in case of injury, like if something happens to um, Hayden Hurst, I think Jaden Graham is a guy we need to remember. Um, Albert 
Okawugabom, I can't say that darn name, in Denver, extremely fast, having a great camp. If something happens to Fant, he could become a factor. Um, Caden Smith with the Giants, if Ingram's foot becomes an issue, he could be a factor. If Jordan Reed doesn't show up and, and play at the Jordan Reed of old, I like Ross Dwelly if something happens to Kittle. Cameron Brake could be a factor if there's injuries in Tampa Bay. <sighs> There's a lot of good tight end talent out there, and I'm not even getting into the kids, okay? So tight end is a very deep position with a lot of guys who can become factors. Um, and for this for this reason, I think we have to be very sober with the position in drafts. It's that single position. Like I said, you want to keep that hammer as long as you can because it feels great when you can use that hammer in the ninth or the 10th round when you've made eight great picks at running back and receiver and then you can make a really good quarterback and tight end pick in either order and you've made 10 great picks to start a draft you're in fabulous shape and the way it generally happens is by holding off on these single positions quarterback tight end obviously kicker and defense if you've got those in your league so that it really is the heart of the draft plan this year. I'm trying to stay in the first seven rounds as much as possible, running backs and then receivers. Eighth round as well, if possible. I want to build up studs at those positions of scarcity. Um, and then there's usually really good options at quarterback and tight end to sort of put you know the cherry on top of the Sunday. Okay, so I was hoping for a half hour. It ended up being more like an hour. Sorry, but you know what? I'm not going to, I'm going to say everything. I know some of you probably aren't here anymore. Some of you bailed in the 20s. Some of you bailed when I got past the tight end ones. It's all good, man. It's all good. Um, so now uh, we're going to bring this podcast down to a close. As soon as I'm done with this and I get it posted, I'm going to be getting into the wide receivers. That'll be the last positional podcast. Probably going to be the longest one. There's going to be a lot to talk about. Um, and once I do that, we'll just be fine-tuning the 500 almost every day, getting the cheat sheets up to date every time I fine-tune it. Um, and at some point, uh, I will probably throw one final podcast down about, like I said, values. Like, I, I want to get, I, you know, I always like to do that, um, you know, value target article and podcast. But the thing is, ADP is still settling in. Once ADP feels like it's what it really is, then I want to do that. But I don't want to do a bunch of values that change a week later. Um, so that's coming. And um, like I said, for anybody who's a returning Rotobonner who's never donated before, who's only given token donations in the past, donations do help right now. Uh, they keep the site viable. Um, and um, don't forget, we're back live, Jimmy Hackett and I, on WEI. Uh, we had our first show last Sunday. We'll be up again this Sunday. I think this show is going to be even better. We're going to be much more fantasy-focused, talking about values and stuff like that. And um, hopefully we have a week, all, you know, we have shows all the way through the season and we don't have any uh, COVID breaks in the NFL or anything like that. So onward, upward, crush those drafts. Keep reading the Rotobon 500. If you have any questions about any of the content I'm putting out, please hit me up on Twitter. Giddy up. <laughs>